Bokertov. So, uh, today's stop is Lamed Het, 39. We pick up at the bottom of Lamed Het, Lamed Bet. Yesterday was a very important daf about the idea of Shomer Ka'one, first of all, the way they would do a recitation of the Hallel in a, uh, with responding hallelujah to various phrases, um, and then how that evolves and different practices that mostly people would say it by themselves, or the, the entire text on their own, um, and only certain sections would be repeated. But nevertheless, the important principle that even hearing the first half of a verse and then completing the second half, what you heard was like you said it. Shomer Kona, which is a very important principle, which we apply regularly, listening, um, um, reading the Megillah, listening to the Megillah, and even the verses that the Gemara quoted about that were about hearing something being written, hearing the Torah being written and being considered as if you read it. So it's not just like you said it, it's like you read it. Again, very important as we go in to uh, Purim. And just again, one final point to mention is that the technical meaning of Shomer Ka'one is not listening is like saying, but listening is like responding because it comes from a context that was talking about what normally was a response in Hallel. Somebody would say something and you would say hallelujah. Somebody would say something and you'd say hallelujah. So even if you didn't do the response, the hallelujah, the listening was like you said it. Um, and the Rambam phrases this in terms of a bracha, that if you hear a bracha and you say amen, since you said a word, you said amen, and amen sort of means you affirm it, then that's like you said the bracha. Whereas if you listen, that's like you responded, like you did the response of amen. So technically, Shomer Ka'ona doesn't mean it's like you said it, it means it's like you responded. Nevertheless, it gets more brought into the idea that listening is like you said it, like I said, the example in the Gemara about listening to the Torah being read, there's no idea of a response there. Um, and similarly, listening to a Megillah, it gets a broader definition of listening is like you, is like you said it. Very, very important uh, halachic principle. And now we move on at the bottom of Lamed Chanamad Bet to another important halachic principle. So let's take, so, so, or actually no, we're going to see in a minute. First we wrap this up. Three lines from the bottom of Laman Chanam is that. Amar Rava, so Rava says, Lole me'inish baruch haba, person should not say baruch haba, v'hadar b'shem Hashem. So we just got through saying, saying the first half of the Pasuk and listening and then saying the second half of the Pasuk based on Shomer Ka'one. But here Rava says, don't have this type of, agree, uh, don't sort of say baruch haba, pause, and then b'shem Hashem. Separate those two halves. Wa ella baruch haba b'shem Hashem b'adadi. You say it all at once because if you break it in the middle, baruch haba pause b'shem Hashem, then baruch haba is a statement by itself, and b'shem Hashem it's floating in air, and it's sort of like saying God's name without a context and without a meaning. So Gemara <coughs> says we'll skip the parentheses. Um, Amar Rav and Rav also says lo and here's a reflection of their nusach of Kaddish right that they would say Kaddish don't say Yehishmei Rabbah let God's great name Bahadar Mivorach let be blessed Yehishmei because then that doesn't mean anything Yehishmei Rabbah by itself and Mivorach Ella Yehishmei Rabbah Mivorach let God's great name be blessed Bahadari make sure to say it as one don't break it in a place where it confuses what the meaning is so only Rav Safra so Rav Safra say back to him Moshe which is well, it's not Rava's name, but it means like a oh, great one. Shatir Kamarta, are you saying good? Does that really does that really make sense? Ella it's Well, or it might mean Moshe because like you're you know uh, you're like you're like astounded, like you know, you're so great, you're saying it. Does that really make sense? So Ella here and there we're just wrapping up what we're saying it's not a problem you know when you end when you end your statement people figure it out by context there was an unusual pause in the middle but it's not like I mean if you didn't finish it you know maybe it could give a different meaning but if you're going to finish it a half a second later obviously we'll thank you we'll interpret what it means based on context okay so that was not really connected to the best other than it was like a first half and a second half like we had discussed by Shomer Ka'ona now we turn to another important principle when we talk about um, other aspects here of Hallel. First, wrapping up this issue about repeating sections of Hallel. So, Mokum Shinagu Lichfal, if the practice was to double over lo- to double lines in Hallel, you double them. So, Tana, we taught in the Bryce, the Rebbe Kofel Bodzvarim. Rebbe would do Kfilah, he would actually repeat certain sections of the Hallel. Doesn't exactly tell you what he would do, but Rashi says it would be because if you remember earlier, we said Ana Hashem Hoshiana, and we repeated Ana Hashem Hoshiana as a way to signal that they would repeat verses. And so Rashi assumes that when Rebbe would repeat, it means you would repeat from Ana Hashem Hoshiana till the end, which is what we do. But then the Gemara adds to this, 
Rabbi Eliezer ben Prata Mosif Badvarim. Rabbi Eliezer ben Prata would add things. So add words. By Mosif, what do you mean he'd add? He add words to Halel. No, it means he would add to what Rebbe would do. He would start the repeating not as Ana Shamoshina, he would start the repeating as Odicha Hashem Kianitani. And that's exactly what we do, right? Take a look at the Hallel, right? I mean, sometimes you don't know because it's in the sitter, so you're not always aware about, like, what's original to the Psukhim or not. But, you know, I mean, um, um, right? So here, right, it says, you know, the responses start, here's the Ana Shamoshina. But the response starts starts earlier by the Odu Hashem Kanitani, and from there to the end, right, we double the, ver- the words. Now, why do we double the ver- words? So first of all, so Rashi points out, Rashi on the Mishnah, but not Rashi here, that, um, does anybody know, by the way, why we double those Psukim? I mean... Because before then, there are lines that are similar that sort of go in double. Excellent. So because before that, the Hallel, is, all the Psukim before, even if they're not the exact same, there's a sense of a paralleling or a doubling of the sense. Like if you take a look at it, it says, right, Yemin Hashem Osechayel, Yemin Hashem Romeima, Yemin Hashem Osechayel, Loach Mus Kiach Yev, Asaper Masayah, Right, so there's all of this like doubling, right? Sabavuni gam, what is it? Kolayim sabavuni b'shem Hashem kimilam. Sabavuni gam sabavuni b'shem Hashem kimilam. Right, so there's all of this like almost the exact same words, you know, just mixed in a different type of a combination, and this this sort of you know uh, couplet. So at the end though, it doesn't happen. So therefore, you know, we do that in order to maintain that type of a theme, even though that's not the original way that it is, uh, it, you know, that it is written. Actually, interesting to note, because some people aren't aware about this, right? Ana Hashem Hoshiana is not doubled in the, in, in the act, in the original Tihilim. In the original theme it is, Right, so because it doesn't say double here, you know, as it does by the other stuff, because, you know, the other, it just repeats, has it twice in the sitter, you know, you could get confused to think that it actually, um, that it actually is twice in the Tihilim. But actually from Odechar all the way to the bottom, it's, we're doubling everything. And that's because in the actual um, text itself, and you also wonder, again, because the Mishnah indicates that the ways in this that this was done to, um, you know, to, to uh, sort of in the responsive, uh, w- in the whole way of doing it responsively, that maybe you needed more of the doubling to work for the uh, music or for the ever, however way, however they did it responsively. Okay, so let's take a look at um, at the um, next statement here. So that's the being kofel. So then Nigmar says like this: Levarich Levarich, where they have the custom to make a bracha, you make a bracha. So Amar Baye Lo Shanu El Laacharav. That's only if it's the bracha at the end, right? Because at the end we make Melch Mulah Batish Pachot. Avalafanav before, right? Asher Kishemis Asavit Zvanu Likmorat Halal Mitzvah Levarich, or if you're Svardi Likmorat Halal, there's a mitzvah. All the mitzvos you have to make a bracha before they are being performed. My mashma the high over Where do you get this idea that the language of over means prior to being performed? So the Amarav Nachman by Yitzchak Tichsiv, the verse says, is quite fascinating, right? You're taking an Amoraic statement of Shmuel and you're sort of doing an interpretation of the words. What's a pasuk that will tell me what this word is that Shmuel meant? But okay, it was a funny phrase, over Lasyatan. So how do you know it? The, the, um, because the verse says, Vayaratz Achimaatz Derechakikar, Achimaatz ran by the way of the valley, Vayavor Takushi, and he passed in front of the Ethiopian. So to be over Lasyatan means to pass in front, to come before. Abayam um, Mehach, Abayam says from here, Vu Avar Lisnehem, he passed in front of them. The king passed in front of them. Now, it could be that the quoting of these psukim, rather than just saying technically that it means to go before, also evokes a certain, a certain image of what it means to go before. You know, if you just say, why didn't you just say, Right? I mean, it was a funny word, over, and quoting the pasuk, right, it's a sense of what are these psukim? These psukim are, you know, to pass in front means to come before in order to, like, announce the coming of, or, you know, to present what's going to be coming. So you don't let that thing come first, you make sure this comes first to, like, frame the coming. I think that, in my mind, at least, that image of to run in front of somebody, pass in front, certainly the king coming in front of the nation, is a sense of almost announcing and framing, you know, what the mitzvah 
is and what it is that you are about to do. That's one point. But the other interesting thing to note is usually the importance of Shmuel's statement is to tell you that you make the bracha before rather than after. Right? Whereas in the Gemara, the Gemara is initially quoting it here not to say before rather than after. It's actually say, to point out that there's an obligation to say a bracha. Meaning, the Mishnah says, if it's a minute to say a bracha for the hollow, you say it. And the Gemara says, oh, we only mean at the end. At the beginning, of course you have to say a bracha. Why? Because Shmuel says all the mitzvahs, mit- you make a bracha beforehand. So normally, the, the Kiddush of Shmuel's statement is, you have to do it before rather than after. But here the Gemara is quoting Shmuel just to say, you've got to say a bracha. If you're doing a mitzvah, you've got to say a bracha. Okay, so it's just interesting to note that that's more what the Kiddush is at this point. And also the point being, maybe, once you're saying a bracha, what bracha do we mean is the real obligatory one, that's the one at the beginning. The one at the end, we can debate. But given Shmuel's statement, we know, number one, you need to say a bracha, because you're doing a mitzvah halal. And number two, we know that it has to come um, in the beginning. Now, I want to say um, um, one or two other final points about this, about the bracha of halal, which is, and this whole idea of a bracha at the end, bracha at the beginning, like... Um, it's not so obvious that you would have said a bracha by halal, right? I mean, do you say a bracha to other parts of the davening to introduce that you're about to do a section of the davening? I mean, we actually sort of do by Tzuke de Zimra, okay, you know, and Kriyasma, so we do, you know, of course there are other sections of the davening that we don't do it by, um, and what's also worth noting is, is that, right, how much is it seen as just like part of the liturgy, and how is it seen as like an act of a mitzvah? And this really, so there's a bit of a chiddush that you do say a bracha, although we do say a psukhid, although psukhid is zimra is really like, is really like, is really like post-Talmudic, you know, the idea of psukhid is zimra. Now, the other important thing to note, though, about it is, this question of, is it, do we see it as liturgy or do we see it as a mitzvah, Kriyashima is also a mitzvah, is that the nature of the brachas that we make when we do it in front of psukhid de zimra, or when we do it in front of Kriyashima or after, are not asher kidisharmi tasavit zivaru al kriyashima. You know, whatever we would say. The brachas that we actually say become more part of the liturgy itself and pick up the theme of the liturgy. So if you think about the bracha by, um, by Kriyatshema, what's the brachas we make before Kriyatshema? What bracha do we make? We make Yotzer Or, right? Yotzer Hamer wrote, Oheva Mo Yisrael. It's not saying there's a mitzvah to say Kriyatshema, but what are they saying? So Yotzer Or is not sort of let's put that aside for a moment that's not as directly connected to the theme of Kriyashima but Oheva Mo Yisrael in a way turn, try, ties into because right the Kriyashima is like the Oheva Mo Yisrael is right is like you know Bachar you know, Banu and you gave us our Torah and Oheva Mo Yisrael and there's this sort of the reciprocity as it were or the balance you God have chosen us Right, and we are therefore acknowledging and accepting you. Um, so there, it, in a way, it amplifies, and you can even tie in the bracha of Yotzer Hamilrot because you know there's the Shmaisha Hashem Elokeinu, but Hashem Echad. Right, there's the universal, and then there's the particularistic. So there, you know, the introducing introdu- introdu- introducing brachot is God is God of the world, and God choosing Israel. We acknowledge God as our God. We acknowledge God as the universal God. So it amplifies and elaborates the theme of the Shema, but it does not make a bracha we're about to do a mitzvah. Because it's also part of the liturgy. So you don't want to single it out as, oh, this is like shaking a lula, we're going to shake the Shema. You know, we're saying we're davening. So the bracha that's there to frame it is not necessarily just making it a mitzvah act. It's actually in, in, in expanding its role as part of the liturgy. Now, Pesuket de Zimra, one should say, anyway, certainly isn't a mitzvah. No mitzvah, the right or the rabbanon to say Pesuket de Zimra. I mean, Pesuket de Zimra only, only develops after the Gemara. But even, so number one, it's not even really relevant to call a mitzvah. And the brachas that frame Pesuket de Zimra are also brachas that really expand its liturgical role, right? I mean, they sort of say... They are a little bit more related to the act and not just pick up on the themes, but they start with blessing God, Merachem, all those things. But it says, Melech Mishubach Mufoar, Hadeyat Shemogadol, Melech Mugulal Batishbachot. So if you're not just saying like it's a mitzvah to praise you, God. We're sort of praising God in the very act of the bracha, a king that is praised by songs, right? And the same by the one of, you know, Habocher Bishirei Zimra, Melech Elche Olamim. 
So, Emel Kadol you can make great through these songs, so we're sort of expanding on what the actual theme itself is. Hallel is different. Now, Hallel is not a normal part of the davening. There actually is, according to some Rishonim, it's actually a mitzvah d'oraisa to say Hallel. Now, how could you say it's mitzvah d'oraisa? The psukim were only written later. Fine. Yeah. It's not a mitzvah to say those verses, but according to the Ramban, to saying Hallel at the time of the Chagim is actually part of the mitzvah Simcha Sachag, very part of, and certainly it's clearly the separate sense of an obligation, and according to some, like I said, it could even be a mitzvah d'oraisa. So that's why, but there's a chiddush. There's a, so the Gemara has to say, by the way, it's not, it's not all minhag. You do have to say a bracha at the beginning, and there is a chiddush that we're treating this now as when we introduce Shmuel, and we call kolham mitzvos over el osiathan, that we treat it as a mitzvah, and that the introductory bracha that we make is a birchat mitzvah. That being said, what's the issue about the bracha at the end? When else do we make a bracha at the end of doing a mitzvah? You make a bracha at the beginning, not at the end. So that issue is... Okay, that's a good point. Okay, <laughs> and it is about to be I was just going to ask about it. Oh, okay, we will get to that, but uh, we should. But the point here is the bracha at the end is like those other brachas that I mentioned before. Because what's the bracha at the end of the halal? The bracha at the end of halal is Melech Mehulal Batish Bachot. Like the bracha we make, right, at the end of Sukhe de Zimra. Right? Because so there it is actually not as much of a birchas hamitzvah, but a bracha that's in- integrating it into the liturgy. You know, it's sort of a, like a birchas hatfila, not a birchas hamitzvah. So there, there's different mean hagim. So that's an interesting fish of the Gemara, right? You could have read the Mishnah like all the brachas is just a minhag. It's a part of the liturgy. Since when would you necessarily make a bracha? It says no, 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 no. The bracha at the end, which is sort of to a bracha of sort of more, you know, of of, uh, of its liturgical nature, that's a minhag. But we are going to treat it as a mitzvah, and therefore we're going to definitely make a bracha at the beginning as a birchas mitzvah. So it's just worth sort of appreciating that aspect of brachot and what sort of the chiddush of the Gemara is here. Yes, sir. No, no, I... I, 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 I mean, there's the two questions before the Shema. There's a lot of really beautiful connections, like the hot air, a name that picks up the or. Right, okay, but that's between the two of them. I'm focusing on... Okay, fine. Okay, fine. Question? Yes. Uh, about the, the, the bracha of the Megillah afterwards, uh, all the Sturim say it's only said if there's a mink, if there's a mink. Right. That doesn't make sense to see there are myths of rocker or it isn't. Uh. Um, it doesn't make sense, really. So, why don't you tell us, Dov Luria, what the practice of the Svartim is about saying Halal B'Yechidus on, uh, you have a different practice when you say Halal B'Yechidus as opposed to, uh, the, the on, Tibor? Uh, on Rosh Chodesh? On Rosh Chodesh, no? we don't say a blessing anyway. Right, and, oh. Uh, I thought that you also made a difference between uh, which bracha be a chidus and be tibor, ligmor or ligmor talal as opposed to ligmor talal. Yeah, but 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 there's a machloket about that as I understand. Right. Because ligmor really means ligmor. Yeah, but there's a, anyway. So it's a different issue, but that part of that has to do with the fact that you're right that the bracha at the end of Megillah. So this is a short answer to your question. Is also not a brichas hamitzah. You don't make brichas hamitzah at the end, mm-hmm. but it's the fact that there's an aspect of pirsume nisa, which is betibor, you know, and mm-hmm. that and that's sort of what that bracha ties into, but not mm-hmm. to the mitzvah act per se. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that is all very uh, interesting in terms of the role that the brachas make. I do want to say one other thing before we begin the next mishnah, which is this very important tosos of overlap yatan that discusses issues we discussed before about the whole issue of the nanuim and how central the Nanuim are to the mitzvah, and particularly also the Nanuim during Hallel. So Tosos, take a look at the beginning of this Tosos of Overlas Yatan. Tosos says the following. He says, After you have it in your hand, once you pick it up, you're Yotze. And then he says, It doesn't make sense to say that you make the bracha before you pick it up. How can you do it when it's when it's still like in a vessel, like you know, it's on the uh, you know in your holder? You make the bracha fill after they're on your arm before you've tightened it, because because and if it's not ready or like immediately ready to be done, So this is a principle called over over. It has to be over Lasyasan before you do it, but not before before. It can't be too much before. It has to be immediately before. So what's the immediately before by the Lulav? So just read it because this is our practice, what he says. Vishema Mishiyatrilito Lulav Kodem Shito Ha Esrog Mevarech. Maybe you have the Lulav, but you don't have the Esrog yet. I know over Lasyatan Shem Akhun Zetzes, since you're not Yotze without both. You still haven't yet done it. 
Inami la'acha shenot osneihem. You take both of them. Ella shofechechechnehen. One of them is the, hopefully the esrog, not the lulav. You hold upside down, okay? And because it's upside down, you're not yotze. And then he says, or maybe also, you pick it up with kavana not to be yotze. And if you have opposite kavana, maybe you don't need kavana to be yotze. But if you have specific kavana not to be yotze, then you won't. Although people don't tend to rely on that because since that's only mental, you know, you know, you'll come yeah. to forget to do that. So they, the practice is to pick up the esrog upside don't down. Think about the elephant. Right, exactly. And but then he has one other thing which I want to read, which is important because it ties back to all our discussion of the newing. He says like this. Uh, one minute. Um, he said one minute. Okay. Um, he says like this. Um, hold on. Inami, the line the, right before the line start to get wider, the line that starts with the last of the narrowest mm-hmm. line starts with Inami. Inami, mitzvasa You haven't finished doing the mitzvah until you've shaken it. And therefore you can make the bracha between taking and shaking. Why do we make the bracha after we wash our hands? The washing is the mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Because you're not done with it until you dry your hands. It's not really comparable. The Nanua is a part of the fuller fulfillment of it, but it's not doesn't prevent you from being Yotse, etc. Okay, the end of the next line. Nevertheless, you can actually still continue to make the bracha after you've taken it if you haven't yet shaken it. So we try not to do that. We try to make sure we hold it upside down or whatever, you know, or some people like maybe have the escrow situated right there like sort of the first answer of Tosos in their nice escrow holder so all you have to do is just grab it like it's not you have to take it out of the clee but most people hold it upside down and take it sometimes you will forget you'll pick it up and say whoops I forgot to turn it upside down well you know you've already just held it you still go ahead and make the bracha because of this idea that the, that the shaking of it is part of the fuller fulfillment of the mitzvah and as we discussed earlier you know again yes your yotze without the shaking but it seems like the mishnayot that that's the prime place you do the mitzvah the prime it's not like you first take it at home and then you shake it and show the pshat is actually that the fundamental mitzvah is the, the, the taking of it with the shaking and show and that's why most of us wait to make the bracha you know right until right before we do that yes interesting on this the choreography is all point Rado writes that there are three examples that need to be corrected you should make the blessing before pouring the water on your hands Mm-hmm. You should make the blessing before lighting Shabbos candles. Mm-hmm. Right. Not like the third one, I forget. Yeah. But it's about washing. He says yeah. you should make the blessing and then pour the water on your Yeah, that's not what Tosa says. Tosa right. right, right. Right, it's the opposite. And right. I've okay. always baked the blessing before lighting Shabbos candles when I went Shabbos. Yeah, that's what men do. That, that has to do with whether the lighting is considered a Kabbalah. Yeah. Okay, let's take a look now at the next Mishnah. So that was all a lot of fun and highly relevant. And now we look at a mission which is also highly relevant because we're about to go into a Shemitah year. But uh, I hope you'll find it as fun. Let's take a look. <laughs> so it says like this. You're buying a lulav from your friend on the Shemitah year. So the lulav is a Shemitah lulav. Um, we'll discuss it in a bit. You know, when did it grow and what year are you in? No lo so, therefore, the uh, seller should give you the esrog as a gift because you're not allowed to pay for the esrog. We'll see why. Because it's a Shemitah esrog. You're not allowed to take it on Shemitah. Now, there are two questions here. One, why can't you take it? And B, why is the esrog different than the lulav? So, let's first talk about why you would think the esrog is different than the lulav. You would think the esrog is different than the lulav because an esrog is a fruit, so it has Kedusha Shriyas, and, and, and a lulav is, is, a, is a stick, and it doesn't have Kedusha Shriyas. Mm-hmm. We will find out in the Gemara, actually, that that's not the case. That even a lulav has Kedusha Shriyas. Wow. So that's going to be one thing we're going to have to figure out. Why is the lulav different than the Esrog? And that basically one answer will just be because their they're, they're, they're Shemitah years are, are at different times, based on when did it grow and when did it ripen, and whatever, we'll talk about that. But one question is, why is the Esrog different than the lulav? The other question is, um, why can't you uh, buy an esrog on... Uh, uh, let's talk about the esrog. Why can't you buy it? So that will be in the Gemara. What would be your guess? Why can't you buy an esrog on Shemitah? Because 
it's God it doesn't belong to the individual which okay said in a halakhic way would mean what, that you can't, it's not serve well no you, it's not serve a pay with shviyas you're supposed to eat uh, payroll. Oh, yeah, I mean, for financial. For, yeah, you can't yeah. use it for commerce. commerce yeah. You shouldn't be doing business with payroll You should be eating them. Yeah. Let's see what the Gemara says. Okay. What? Yes. Right. That's what I said. That's why you would think it doesn't apply to a lulav. That kedushas shvius is only by food and not by things like sticks. That's, that I agree with it soon. We'll see in the Gemara that the Gemara is not so clear about that, or the Gemara challenges that. But then let's talk about the Esrog. Why can't you sell the, buy the Esrog? So Charlie says, because you're supposed to eat at Peshwiyah's fruit. You're not supposed to spy and sell it. Let's take a look at what the Gemara says. First, the Gemara asks a simple question. If the guy doesn't want to give you an Esrog for a gift, what do you do? So the Gemara says, Amaravuna Mavliya Leidme Esrog Belulav. What you do is, you say, we have a great sale on Lulavim. Lulavim only $50, but there's a free Esrog that gets thrown in. <laughs> so, oh, if you want, if you want that free Esrog, the Lulav will cost you $60. But if you want that free Esrog, the Lulav will cost you $70. <laughs> 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 right, right, exactly, exactly. So anyway, you sell a Lulav at whatever prices you want to sell it for, but the Esrog Esrog comes for a gift. Okay, so now let's figure out why you can't buy the esrog. The lazy labahedya, just pay him for the esrog. So it says, the fee chain mostrin to make pierce lama aret, because you cannot give the money that was used to purchase shmita fruit to an amha aret. Titania, because we're assuming the seller is an amha aret and not careful with these types of laws. You can't give him money for Shemitah produce, that you're buying Shemitah produce, more than three meals worth, because up to three meals worth, you assume that he will use it to buy his next few meals. Fine. But you can't give him more than three meals worth. Why not? Because once you have more than three meals worth, who knows what you'll do with it? You'll go and you'll pay, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll use it to get into the movies, you'll go and you'll buy a, a car, I don't know, whatever you'll do with it. You'll, you won't immediately turn it into food, and that will be a problem. Why will it be a problem? Because, here's the halacha. When you buy Shemitah produce, um, the, shmita, the, the, the food itself retains the Kedushek Shviyas. Buying it does not change the status of the fruit. But the money that was used to pay for the fruit also gets the Kedusha Shvius. And what do you have to now do with this money? With this money, you now have to use it to buy food and to eat that food, Bikdusha Shvius. That's what you have to do with money that was used to purchase Shemitah produce. So, if you give him up to three meals worth, you can assume, now really, normally they would only eat two meals a day, but on Shabbos three, so we give a little more latitude and we say three meals, we assume if you have a, a few bucks on you and most people, you know, they didn't have a lot of money to spend on other things, they would spend it on food and you don't have to worry. But anything more than that, you don't know what he's going to spend it on and you have to worry that he will misuse the money of Shemitah. That's why you can't buy it from him. Now, the quest, two questions we have, let me first read the line and then I want to go back to questions. The Mosar, if you did give him the most, Yomar, you should say, Now, he has money that he's going to misuse, or he might very well misuse. It's more than three meals worth. So you should say, the money he's having in his hand, I transfer the Kedusha Shriyas from that money to fruit in my house. And you come and you eat that. You eat now the fruit with your Kedusha Shriyas. So you just sold these apples for tw- ten bucks. I'm sorry, what is it? No, you just gave ten bucks and bought these apples. These apples will always have their Kedusha Shriyas. That doesn't happen. That 10 bucks now has Kedusha Shriyas as well, but it's too much money for, the, for this guy might misuse it. So now you have to say that Kedusha Shriyas on that $10 is now transferred to $10 worth of oranges that I have in my house for not Shemitah oranges. Oranges from last year. And now you have to eat not only your apples Kedusha Shriyas, you have to eat your oranges Kedusha Shriyas as well. Okay, because you can't trust him use that money in the right way. That's why you can't buy it, because you might misuse the money. Now, I want to talk about two things before we turn the page, or before we talk continue. One is just a small point, an acute point, which Tosa says, one minute. You're allowed to give less than three meals worth, and the whole reason that you can't buy the esrog is because you can't give the money worth than more than three meals worth. So that sounds like an esrog cost more than three meals. So first, it's not a chiddish, but let's look at Tosvos. So Tosvos says, Lamitet, the small last Tosvos, Lamitet um, Amadalif, or uh, second last, Yosemi Mazen Shalashudos. So it says, Mash Mashish Pidme Esro, Yosemi Mazen Shalashudos. That's why would it be a problem? 
The hot not perhaps love de meila nosin lo shtei prutos va omer lo lech vahavili esrog ba'achas u ba'achas limon. So there it says you can buy an esrog for a pruta. So it says hasam be esrog pasul the low boile elul achila or it's not sukkas. Aval hacha kosher the hadar livracha dam of yikarim to buy a good kosher esrog that's, that's beautiful whatever nothing is changed. So that's what costs a lot more than three meals worth. Okay, so that's the problem. Now the other question is, um, the other question is that. Um, oh, by the way, I just also want to show you one other cute line in the previous Tosfos where he says how this how this Amart might misuse the money. So he says, number one, first he won't use it for food. He'll use it for a million things other than food. Okay. So if you take a look at the Tosfos Shein and you go two lines before the bottom, he says like this. He says, or three lines. He says. First of all, he'll buy animals that are not kosher, so you can't eat them. Clothing will mean a lion. They know from the bayer, below the balan, below the sapan, below the saper, the sapar. You can't give it to like you know to the uh, to the to, to, to the launderer and to the and to the and to the and to the haircut, the guy that gives you the, the barber. Only for food and drink and anointing. Below shardvarim. Thus will be from the You can't pay debts with it. The aim mispar l'dinim uli surim sheyech prepare with shvius shetzarik linhog behen kedusha shvius. Okay, so that's a nice introduction to a shemitah year. Okay, even when you buy the fruit, there's no end to the halachas of things you have to worry about when you're dealing with peres shvius. So I thought that was a nice way of summarizing the challenges of hilchos shvius. Now, one other though important point before we turn the daf is. So why didn't the Gemara say what we said? Why didn't the Gemara say that, you know why you can't buy it? Forget about how much money you're giving him. You can't do business with Peyot Shviyot. Why didn't it say that? So Tosus basically says, well, no. You, you can't do business means you can't make it a commercial enterprise. But basically, what would happen in Shemitah if we were really doing it the right way? Everybody should just let, let their lands be open. I walk into Charlie's, um, you know, uh, orchard there, and I, I'm allowed to take my basket and pick apples off of his tree. <coughs> so I can take those, that, that home and uh, for my family. That's what Shemitah is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But let's say after I'm finished doing that, I got a lot of apples left over. Do I have to let them rot? No, I can sell them. The problem would be for me to go and to pick them in my basket with the intent that I am going to make a business out of this. I'm picking them for the sake of selling them. That's what doing business with parish fees is. But if I'm taking them in order to eat them, and then I just have something left over, I can sell it to somebody. There's no isser to sell it. The isser is to do business with it. There's a difference between selling something you happen to have and doing business. Not only that, Tosa says, you could actually even do a little bit of a trick, of a, a harama, which is, I could go there with my friend, or with my brother, or with my son, and I could pick it, and I'm the one, and I'm not going to sell it. And then I give it to my brother or my son, and he's the one who goes ahead and he goes and sells it. So my picking wasn't a picking for the sake of commerce. It actually was, but not that I was going to sell it. And then he has it, and he's selling it. So that's, that's a, I'm, the corporation. That's that. That's a workaround. Yeah. Another thing Joseph says you're not allowed to do is not just the context in which you pick the apples, but also can you have like a fixed stand in the marketplace, an apple stand in the marketplace. If you have an apple stand in the marketplace, then whatever you're doing, you're doing business with Paris Street. But again, to do an occasional selling and it's not really intentional or it's not so direct, that is not considered business with Perushvius, and therefore that is that is okay. Tosa says one final issue is also, let's say I'm not picking it, but let's say Charlie went ahead and he picked it for his family and he's got a, ba- a basket and I say Charlie I'll give you 10 bucks for that basket of apples because I know I can go to the next town and sell it for 20 bucks that also is business with Paris I didn't do any of the picking of it it doesn't matter I'm buying it and selling it in order to make a profit so the problem is doing business with it but it's not actually selling there's ways you can sell which isn't considered doing business which is allowed so the Gemara says the problem in the Mishnah is even if the guy isn't doing business with selling Esroge Shvius, you can't give him the money, it'll be too much money, and you're afraid he'll misuse the money. And that's why there's a problem, is because of the giving of the money, not because of the transaction itself. Okay, so now let's take a look as the Gemara continues. It says that, yes. When do you do the transfer of the you mean it's no longer under your control how can you do it so there's a Gemara about whether you're allowed to do that whether you can transfer Kedusha uh, from money that isn't yours 
um, and according logically it's hard to understand why according to the opinion that you can't they understand that this type of a thing is a knas it really doesn't work but whatever you've done wrong you've done wrong if he's going to misuse it he'll misuse it you can't help that but we don't want to get you in the habit of doing it so we're going to force you to sort of you know eat it as it were <laughs> literally <laughs> but yes that's a good question okay so now the question sounds like this the top of, or the bright, the top of, uh, of Lama, Lama Tadam is best. But yes. Yeah. You're making a profit. Are you going to make a profit? No, but what I mean is, you just pick it because it was free and you sell it, obviously you pocket money, but you're not, I, what I mean is you can't buy from one person and sell for the other, you know, in, and the whole, and the goal there is obviously to get the difference and to make the profit. That's sort of, that's, yeah. But obviously, no, you pick it and you have an apple and then you don't want to eat it, so you sell it to your friend, right? Exactly. Okay. So... Right. I mean, look, I went to, you know, I went to Charlie's Orchard, I picked an apple, here I am, I'm eating lunch, you know, I've got my apple, and you say to me, oh, that looks like such a lovely apple, could I have it? So I have to give it to you for free because it's Shriya's? Or can I say, sure, you know, but uh, give me your pair, or sure, but, you, give, you know, I'll give it to you for a dollar. So that's not doing business with pair with Shriya's, that's just selling it. Okay, so the Gemara says like this, but Mezra Mamurim, the Brighter continues, Belokeach Mina Mufkar, when is this? that you are allowed to pay up to three meals worth for Perish Trias when it is per- you're purchasing something that was taken from Hefker Fields. Hefker meaning because it's Shemitah and people are practicing Shemitah. Charlie did, did, was a good guy and left his field unprotected. If the guy is selling it to you and it came from a protected, a guarded field, you can't even pay like a half a penny or whatever, a small amount. Now, why is that different if it came from a guarded field? So there's a fascinating debate between Rashi and Tosis. Rashi says, who's guarding the field? Okay, so let's say, here I am, I'm buying this apple from Sam. Now, if Sam got it from a Hefker field, I can buy it. If Sam got it from a protected field, I can't. Now, according to Rashi, the problem is that Sam was the one who was guarding the field, and he was guarding his own apple orchard. So here he is, he's selling an apple from the apple, his own apple orchard that he guarded. Well, why is that a problem now to buy it from him? What, what, has, what has happened wrong already? Sam has violated the laws of Shemitah because he's guarded his apple orchard. So I know, oh, so thank you very much. Now I know that I can't trust Sam because he's a violator of laws of Shemitah. He guarded his own apple orchard. So, sorry, Sam. So, I therefore can't even give him, I can't even give him a penny because the whole reason I'm not supposed to give him money is he might misuse it. Well, guess, and I can trust him up to three meals worth. Well, guess what? I already know that I can't trust Sam. He, he goes ahead and he watches his field on Shemitah. So I can't even give him anything. That's the way Rashi reads it. Tosfos has an even bigger chiddush. Tosfos says, no. Charlie was watching his field. Charlie was the one violating. Sam, though, Charlie wasn't allowed to, snuck in and took, a, and took an apple. Because, you know, you're allowed to. It's Shemitah. Charlie watched the field. And even so, I can't buy it off of Sam. Why not? Sam didn't do anything wrong. You're the guy who watched the field. So you know what Tosa says? Tosa says, when you watch your field on Shemitah, the fruit becomes Asr. You've made the fruit into Meshumar fruit and not Hefter fruit, and that actually makes the fruit forbidden to be eaten. By anybody. By anybody. Now, that's a pretty radical uh, uh, approach, and Tosa deals with, like, this, uh, you know, evidence against it, and Tosa actually also points out that then it wouldn't say that I can't even give him, like, a half a penny. If, I, if the problem is I can't eat your fruit... It wouldn't say, I can't even give Sam a half a penny. It's not about giving him the half penny. It's about the fruit being offered to be eaten. But I did want to let you know that Tosos has been even more radical read that the watched fruit becomes forbidden because it, it had been, vi- like the vi- speak had been violated. But the better, easier reading of this is that Sam was the violator and therefore I can't give him any money because I can't trust him even with a small amount now. So that's the idea of Min HaMishumar. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, uh, okay, so anyway, that's the problem of the Mishnah. So that you're, you're paying him the money and he'll misuse the money. So, are you telling me that if the fruit is coming from unprotected fields, I can give him only up to three meals worth of money? Uh, I can only pay up to three meals worth and not more? Um, Ramini, I'll ask you on this. Okay, 
Shabin Harot, Vahagargir, Shal Efer, Petrumina Meister. All these things are exempt from Meister because they basically grow wild and people don't bother to harvest them. Now, could somebody read me the English, please? Go. Rue, sorrel, asparagus, purslane, coriander, water parsley of the rivers, garden, aruka. Okay. Some of those things sound like they'd be worth watching, like asparagus. I, I know. My grandfather had asparagus. Anyway, all right. These various things are, are generally considered to be growing wild and people don't bother <coughs> harvesting them. And therefore, what's the halacha about these things? So this is a Mishra and Shvius. The halacha is a Pturmina Meiser. Number one, they're exempt from Meiser. You can assume that they grew wild. And since anything, if it grows wild and it grows, um, and it's, and it's hefter, it's exempt from Meiser, number one. And Venikrin Kaladim Shvius. You can buy them from anybody on Shemitah, meaning even somebody who might normally, um, you know, you might normally, like, uh, not be a chaver, not be somebody that you would normally say, oh, they to- you totally trust them. Um, because things like this are, you know, you don't know about this one in particular, but, you know, in general, these things are not normally guarded and protected. Now, so the point is, the fact, so first of all, we should appreciate there are two separate halachos. If they grow wild, they're not obligated in Meiser altogether. But if they grow wild, they do have Kedushas Shviyas, right? I mean, the whole idea of Shviyas, everything is growing wild and it has Kedushas Shviyas. So the point is not that they don't have Kedushas Shviyas, but the point is you don't have to be concerned, like we discussed before, that somebody violated and protect and, and guarded them. They definitely grew wild, and they have Kedushas Shviyas, and it said you can buy it from anyone. It didn't say only up to three meals worth. No limit. Just go ahead and buy it. So you see you don't have a limit of only up to three meals. I mean, I shouldn't say three meals worth. Anyway, only money that upsets the value of three meals. Even if you see a guy sitting and watching and guarding these things, it wouldn't be Meshumar because it's wild all over. No, that's not the truth. No? no, it means that you can assume that these were Mufkar because they generally are. Right, exactly. That's what Kiyote then means. Okay, so, anyway, so look, here's stuff. You don't have to worry it was protected. It has to do with history. It says buy it, but it doesn't give any limits. So the Gemara says, who mostly love, who mafarikla, he asked the question and he gave his own answer, bichtei man shanu. We're only talking about the amount that, uh, amount for eating. Okay? It's just funny that they use that weird phrase. So then the Gemara, like the Gemara said before about Shmuel's statement about overless Yasan, my mashma fascinating. Fascinating sort of, right, mamish on the same daf, interpreting an Amoraic statement based on a pasuk. My mashma dahain man, listen to Mizonehu. We know this word man means food. Dechsiv, vayaman lehem hamelech, and the king fed them. This is in Daniel. Of course, wouldn't you have assumed the pasuk about vayikra chemo man, right? <laughs> the man. That's an interesting question, what the word man means, mana. Does it mean like uh, mazon, which is actually what this Gemara would suggest, or does it just mean like ma, like they didn't know what it was, right? But actually, some say that the word man, right, vayikra chemo man, kilo yadu mahu, how do you read that passage? They called it man because they didn't know what it was, and the word man means ma, what? Or they called it food because they didn't know what it was. So anyway, it is fascinating. The Gemara doesn't go to that more obvious use of the word man. Anyway, it says, oh, look, it says you can buy. It doesn't say a limit. It, says, yeah, it means you can buy up to a certain amount. You can buy up to a few meals worth, So, and that you're not afraid he'll misuse the money. But again, we have that limit of only a certain amount of money. Yes. That passage from Daniel, uh, by man, that's referring to non-kosher food. What? That, 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 that uh, in the king's food because that's the first no chapter. they first refused the king's food he refused right? it because it wasn't kosher yeah but then didn't it say that they fed him like with like this uh, grain with, and with, whatever with, uh, whatever it was with seeds yeah so yeah, that, but that, that, was, that was the, this is the food that he refused because it wasn't kosher oh was it I don't yeah. know okay fine maybe you're right wait, wait, what's the question that he asked and answered Manshana what's the question <laughs> the question was it says you can buy these this stuff and it doesn't give a limit of how much money you can pay for it and yeah. it says yeah but we mean with you know, we mean a few meals worth. We don't mean you can buy as much as you want. So, you can only buy food enough to for, for a meal. Uh, it doesn't say... Uh, it doesn't say how much, but it means... Right, okay, all right. So now we've got the issue. You can't buy the Esau because you can't pay too much money for stuff on Shemitah. So the Gemara says, Ihachi Lulav Nami. Why can't... Why about the Lulav? And now again, the question that I said is, you would think that the Lulav wouldn't have Kedusha Shvius because it's only sticks. The Gemara is going to ask that tomorrow. Let's see what it's... Let's see the answer it gives today. Okay, the tomb that the Lulav does have Kedusha Shvius, so why can you buy the Lulav? So the Gemara says, Lulav Bar Shishis HaNichnas Shvius 
Because look, when does the Shemitah year begin? It's, it's Sukkot. When did the Shemitah year begin? How long ago? Fair of Sukkot. You're buying a love of that stuff. Two weeks ago, right? Two weeks ago the Shemitah began. Okay. When do you determine whether a, when a, when a, the produce of a tree, which year it goes by? So the halacha is you determine it by when did it uh, blossom. Okay? So when did the blossoming take place? So the blossoming of the lulav, you're buying it now, Erev Sukkot, happened, whatever blossoming means by a lulav stick or whatever, but when it started growing, that happened last year. It didn't happen in the last two weeks. This big Esrog stick did not all grow in the last two weeks. So it's year, on Shemitah, when lulavim Erev Sukkot were from last. Mm-hmm. Okay, and therefore you don't have to. You'll have to worry about it next year. Probably you throw them too. Well, that's the next question. Oh, okay. You'll have to worry about lulav next year, but this year, the shemitah year, the lulav is, is is from last year. So the Gemara says, "Ihachi, um, if that's true, esrog nami basishis haniklas shriyasi." So the esrog also it started growing last year. It didn't start growing in the last two weeks. So the Gemara says, "No, esrog baser lekita azlinan." By the esrog, you go by when it was plucked, not by when it blossomed. Now, why? All trees go by when they blossom. Esrog is a fascinating tree in halacha because since the, um, the apparently it does not just grow, there's a, there's a phrase called, is it gadol al kolmayim or al rovmayim? Rovmayim means by rainwater alone. Kolmayim means that it needs to regularly be irrigated. So apparently an esrog, unlike normal trees, this is what the Gemara says, I assume the Gemara knows much more about me than Esrogim since I know zero about them in terms of their botanical reality. Um, the Gemara says that Esrogim needs to be regularly be irrigated and therefore, um, and therefore um, they are, in that way they are like vegetables. Vegetables you need to regularly water. You can't rely just on rainwater. And the halacha by vegetables is that vegetables, their Shemitah year or their, you know, whatever, Meister year is determined by when they're picked, not when, by when they begin to grow. So since the esrog is like a vegetable that it needs to regularly be watered, its year is identified not by when it blossoms and it begins to grow, but when it's picked. So here you are, you're two weeks in after Rosh Hashanah, you just picked your esrog, it's fascinating, you know, you would, for us, the esrogim you're seeing on the streets after uh, Yom Kippur were picked a few months ago because they got to get them to where they're going, but here you're in Eretz Yisrael, you don't have to transport them, the esrog trees growing all over, whatever the esrogim you see being sold on Erev Sukkot were picked within the last two weeks, and therefore those are Shemit esrogim. But the Lulavim, those go by when they began to grow, and therefore their sixth year Lulavim, not Shemitah Lulavim. Next year it'll be the reverse, yes. So the ones that we get here might have been picked a few days before Rosh Hashanah because it takes a lot of processes. Yeah, so everyone, you have to find out what the story is. Okay, so wow. the Gemara says like this. So Esrog Basro Kitafinan, by an Esrog, although it's a tree, because as I told you, it's, a, it's like a vegetable that it needs regular irrigation, you go by when it's picked. It's funny, the Esrog is on three I know, and in yeah. this way, it's like a vegetable. Vaha, right. I can see that in some areas there's a debate when Esrog goes, whether it's picked or when it begins to grow, whether it blossoms. But by for Shemitah, even the debate of Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Eliezer, which we'll see in a minute, they both agree that by Shemitah, it goes by when it blossomed, not by when it's picked. What is this debate? Nan, we taught in the Mishnah, in, in Bikurim. Esrog shavel ilan begimel drachim, uliyerek bederech echad. Esrog is like a tree in three ways, and like a vegetable in one way. Shavel ilan begimel drachim, three ways it has the same halachas as a tree. La'arla, it's a fruit, so arla applies to it. Lirivai, the fourth year of Orla, Netarivai applies to it. Ulishvias, and for laws of Shemitah, that it goes by when it blossomed. Uliyerek v'derech echad, there's one way it's like a vegetable. This is what? Shebeshat likitato isuro. The time when it is picked, that's when the miser is. So it's very confusing. The Shemitah year goes by when it blossomed. The miser year goes by when it picked. Now, why does that matter? Because I'm sure, as you know, right, the way things work is, you have a seven-year cycle, right? So the first two years is, right, Meister Ani. I'm sorry, Meister Shaini. Then it's Meister Ani, right? I mean, there's first always Meister Rishon, right? But the question is, what's the second one? And then it's Meister Shaini, Shaini, Ani, and Shmita. 
Okay? Mm-hmm. So here you've got your ethno tree growing here. Okay? Okay? <laughs> so if it grew here and was picked here, we picked it in the third year. <laughs> and it grew in the second year. So for Meister purposes, it goes when it was picked and it would be Meister Ani, even though it grew here. Okay? For Meister purposes, it goes when it's picked. So similarly, it's here, right? And you picked it here in the Shemitah year. So here, it's, here's a funny halacha. For Meister purposes, you don't take mice no, because yeah. it's not right part of the cycle. <coughs> it doesn't have kedusha shmita. Is it a shmita fruit, right? So that goes by when it grew. Actually, that's a side So it's not shmita because shmita goes by when it blossoms. But the mice halachas go by when it's picked. Actually, that would be very bizarre because the only reason there's no mice here is because it's shmita. I have to think so then it's but anyway, the year, <laughs> yes. you can eat it. You don't have to give a mice. Yeah, to you know, i got to think that one through because the whole reason there's no mice there is because it's a shmita yet. But anyway, but that is, that's the halacha. That, that for shmita, it goes by when it's through. And by meiser, it goes by when it's picked. That's what Rabbi Gamliel says. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Esrek Shavu Le'ilam L'chol Davar. Nope, it's never like a vegetable. It always goes by when it's blossomed, not by when it's picked. But you see, by Shemitah, everybody agrees it goes by when it blossomed. Nobody says for Shemitah it goes by when it's picked. At most we say it for Meiser. So the Meiser says, no, who the Amar Ki Aitana? He says like this, Tana, the Tanya, we Tana Brisa, I'm Rabbi Yossi, Avtumas Hayim, Mishum Chamisha Zikanim, Avtumas testifying the name of five elders. Esrog Acher Likita Lemaaser. It goes by when it was picked for Meiser, meaning that's the only way it's like, it goes, it's like a vegetable, it goes by when it's picked just for Meiser purposes. For Abbasainu, Nimnu Ba'usha, but our rabbis took a vote in Usha, the Amru, and they concluded, Bain Lemaaser, Bain Lishviyas. Whether for Meiser or Shvius, it goes by when it was picked. So Meiser Shvius, man We haven't even mentioned Shvius. What do you mean, bain this, bain that? This is how you read it. Ezrog acher lekita lemaser acher chanata lishvius. The first opinion was it's just reframing it to make it more explicit. The first opinion was you go by picking for Meiser, but you go by blossoming for Shemitah. Okay, so now what we have concluded is that an esrog is like a vegetable and it goes by when it was picked for Meister and for Shemitah. So here you are, two weeks after Rosh Hashanah, they're selling Lulavim and Esrogim that were just picked in the last two weeks. The Lulav grew last year. That's a sixth year Lulav. The Esrog also grew last year, but was picked this year. And because an Esrog is like, according to this opinion, is like a vegetable for, a lit law, for these laws, the esrog actually is a Shemitah esrog because it's irrigated like a vegetable. It goes by when it's picked, even for Shemitah, and therefore it's a Shemitah esrog, but last year's lulav. That's at least where we are now, and now we're going to have to discuss why a lulav should have Kedusha Shiz altogether. Isn't it just sticks? We will see about that over Shabbat.